We're going to be thinking about the Sermon on the Mount. We've actually started to think about this already. If, you, if you're not familiar with the Bible and with the teaching in the Bible, um, you might have heard the phrase, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's actually the collection of Jesus' teaching. In uh, Matthew's Gospel and in, in Luke's Gospel, they, they tell us that Jesus goes around teaching people. It's actually the name Jesus is called more than any other, I think, is teacher. And it begs the question when you're reading the narrative, what is it he's teaching? And so both Matthew and Luke provide a kind of compilation of the key themes of Jesus' teaching. It's a bit like... Um, uh, one of those highlights reels uh, that you occasionally get when you see uh, an actor getting an Oscar, for example, or a Lifetime Achievement Award, or if you wanted to watch a video of a football team, and they put together everything that summed up what it is that makes this team great. What is, how do they play? Uh, and this is a, a kind of picture of what it is that Jesus taught. And it's rooted in two key ideas. I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining this this week. You can catch up with them in the uh, talks that I've already done, which are on the internet. The first key idea to understand everything Jesus teaches here is that everything we receive from God, whether it's forgiveness, healing, eternal life, food, you name it, is a gift of his grace that has to be received and can't be earned or demanded. That's what grace means. It means gift. Everything we receive from God is a gift. And we can't come to him thinking, I've earned the gift or I demand the gift. We just have to receive the gift. Second, uh, Jesus is convinced that the problem with humanity, the reason why the world is broken and that we treat each other badly... What the Bible calls sin, but you might not find that a helpful label, is not fundamentally a case of breaking rules. So Jesus doesn't come up with a list of sins, whether it's ten or seven or however many you might find, and say, these are the rules, just keep them. We do break rules, but Jesus says the problem with humanity isn't that we occasionally break a discrete set of rules. The problem is that our souls are sick. We need, therefore, to be changed from the inside out. To put it another way, uh, Jesus teaches that God accepts us as we are. That's key to the ethos of this church. We actually have a sign up saying it in the foyer. I have no idea whether anybody ever reads it. But it says that everybody is welcome to come as they are. Whatever their sexual background, their gender, their race, anything. We believe that God accepts us as we are. But we also believe very strongly, and Jesus teaches very strongly, that God does not want us to stay as we are. If I could put it this way, God might accept me as a robber, but he doesn't want me to carry on robbing people. He wants me to be changed so that I no longer want to rob people. God accepts us as we are, but he does not leave us as we are. I was thinking about how to model this, and I... uh, I was thinking about one of my favourite TV shows when I was a kid. I spend a lot of time doing this now. Uh, One of my favourite TV shows when I was a kid was Scrap Heap Challenge. I don't know if anybody's ever seen Scrap Heap Challenge. I can see Ed nodding very strongly at the back. This is an advert. If you haven't seen Scrap Heap Challenge, this is an advert from... uh, They're replaying it on Dave, I'm told. Uh, So this is an advert for it. 
It's amazing what you can find rummaging around in a scrap heap. What about a boat and a rope? That bloke from Red Dwarf. That lady from that thing. I think I had the end of it. Snacks. Pickled walnuts. I think we could run the car on that. And even Dave shows like this one. Police, we could get a sorted. Scrap heap challenge. Hey, we lost us for this, man. Where two teams are challenged to construct the most incredible machines from scratch. Screens. Human cannonball. Moving machines. If the A-Team was an engineering-based game show... Is that one cat for no Let's go! It'd probably look something like this. Scrap Heap Challenge. Start tonight at six. New to Dave. There you go. If that's whetted your appetite, it's actually all on the Channel 4, 4 On Demand player. Um... The, the premise of the show, and you can see why I liked it, it, appeal, it would appeal to a teenage boy for all sorts of reasons. Um, the premise of the show is that two teams have put on this giant scrap heap. It's actually a real scrap heap. It's located somewhere in southern Surrey. I never found out exactly where. They're put on this giant scrap heap, and they're given a task, and the task is something outrageous, like build a hovercraft. Um, actually, that, is a, that is actually was one of the tasks, build a hovercraft. One of them was build like a speedboat. And... Uh, they are told that only that they can only use the materials they find on the scrap heap. So they go through the scrap heap and they start looking at each of the things uh, differently. They, they, they might find a broken down engine or a machine, something that's failed and is broken that the world has been unkind to. And they look at it and think, but you can live again and you can become... Sorry, you can become something beautiful, something extraordinary. In the hands of a skilled engineer, someone who sees its potential, it can be fixed and put into a new purpose. Very often that is more glorious than the thing it was originally. So, for example, instead of being a Robin Reliant wheel, you can become part of a hovercraft. And... This, I think, pictures the way Jesus talks about God's kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to be unpacking it very slowly as we go through and thinking about what he has to say. But all the way through, this is really what he's doing. He's saying God is coming and he's searching the the scrap heap of our lives, the brokenness, the, the bits that are hurt by other people and that we have hurt. And he's doing some a kind of salvage operation, something grander, more beautiful than Scrap Heap Challenge, where he picks up things that are broken and reshapes them and repairs them, and then he puts them to work. That's the other good thing about this show, is it's not just about someone coming through and saying, look at this, isn't it cool? It's saying, not only is it cool, but it can be really useful. It can have a purpose that we never thought possible. And actually, that's what Jesus is saying in this talk. If you read the whole thing, he's saying that our lives can have a purpose that we never thought was possible. Can do something that we never thought was possible. And at each stage of this process, Jesus challenges both our culture and our selfishness. And replaces them with something better. Every week, uh, I give a big idea of what we're going to look at. And this is this week's big idea. This is the one thing I want you to remember. Uh, If you go to sleep now, and believe me, that's happened. Um, There have been uh, a couple of people who've gone to sleep. Uh, I mean, more than a couple, but two that stand out for me. A lady called Sarah went to sleep in one of my sermons in East London. And boy, could that lady snore. Um, And she was a loud lady when she was awake. Let me tell you, when she was asleep, it would rattle around. 
so if you want to go to sleep, I encourage you not to, but if you want to go to sleep, go to sleep remembering this one statement. Jesus transforms the way that we see ourselves and the world so that we can share his kingdom. Jesus transforms the way that we see ourselves and the world so that we can share his kingdom. Jesus transforms the way we see ourselves and the world so we can share his kingdom. So I'm going to read the first bit of the Sermon on the Mount that we're looking at today. This is what's called the Beatitudes. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great's your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm going to unpack uh, some of these today. And so Jesus starts this talk by focusing on how God transforms those who come to him. And we know these eight sayings, if you are a Bible person or you're reading along in a Bible, and I do encourage you to have one in front of you. And they'll probably be labelled as something like the Beatitudes. Uh, we like making up words that um, sound really cool and actually are very uh, easy to understand. This is a, an old word, and it means these are the blessings, these are the blessed statements. Uh, in Eastern Christianity, they're called, actually called macarions, uh, which you can't actually search for on Google because it keeps correcting it to macaroons. I can't stop it doing it. <laughs> I've tried to search for Eastern Christian commentary on it, and it's almost impossible. They don't describe eight groups of people, each of whom are blessed. So it's not that there is... Wind that back. It's not that there are some people who are poor in spirit and there are some people who mourn and there are some people who are meek and there are some people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Rather they chart the journey that a soul makes as it's salvaged by God. To think about my Scrap Heap Challenge theme, this is the progression through the journey over the course of the program. You know, if we were to put it in the context of that, we might say, blessed are those who are found on the scrap heap. Blessed are those whose rust is cleaned off. Blessed are those who are welded together, and so on. It's describing the process by which we're transformed. The marks of a heart that's being changed by Jesus. They all follow the same pattern. So the list is beautifully constructed. If you're, if you're an artist, I just want to say this. If you're an artist, somebody who does arty type stuff, uh, then you would have loved Jesus. He makes this wonderful list uh, in a kind of poetry so it can be remembered. The man, the man is a genius above, above anything else. He crafted his teaching into a, po a, a poem, basically. Each begins with blessed, are, and then gives something else as a response that flows out from it. It splits into two sections. I'm going to get technical on you because I just found it so exciting. It splits into two sections. Each is 36 words long. It's basically like a kind of ancient Hebrew haiku that he's written. 
It's an extraordinarily constructed statement. Because he wants them to be remembered. When he says blessed, what he means is those who are favoured by God and therefore approved by him. These are the people who find God, whom God is pleased to live with. And it produces a kind of happiness in it, but it's not like a kind of hashtag blessed, where you uh, wake up and you realise that you've married a stunner who is very good at uh, constructing notice slides. And you go, I'm going to put that on Facebook, hashtag blessed. It's not like that. It's, it's actually that we find that our souls are at peace with God, and therefore we realise that our hearts are overflowing with his presence and his joy, even when life is difficult. Now, you can see why Jesus summarised it in a word. I'm not as good a teacher as he is. But that's a kind of summary of what it means. This breaks down into two sections with four sayings in each, each containing 36 words, which blows my mind. The first half deals mainly with how we see ourselves and the world. And the second half mainly with how we respond to the world around us. Now that makes sense. We can reverse that trend. In fact, the way that modern dialogue works is to reverse that trend. We concentrate on changing how we interact with other people. Um, so uh, that's the way modern legislation works. If you want to stop people being racist, you make the Race Relations Act, which punishes them for being racist. Jesus actually works the other way around. He starts from the inside and then expects that to be expressed in how we behave. Uh, that makes sense if you think about the salvage analogy, right? But if you're salvaging something from a junk heap, from a scrap heap, you take it and clean it and get it working and then put it to use. And that's what Jesus is doing here. It's this first half we're going to look at today. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Favoured by God are those that are humble. That's what it means. Favoured by God are those that are humble. Jesus begins by confronting pride and self-justification. You can only be saved, Jesus is saying, you can only be put to use by God, accepted and blessed by him, if you know you need his help and ask for his mercy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, naturally, we have a tendency to puff ourselves up. I mean, I do this all the time. We have a tendency to make ourselves seem big. To look for what we earn or deserve, to make ourselves seem good. This is pervades contemporary thought, right? Um, uh, I, one of my uh, pieces of work that I was most proud of in my undergraduate law degree, that's now of least use to me, was a dissertation on human rights. I picked uh, writing about property as a human right. Here's a tip for you. If you're studying at the moment, um, or you're listening to this and you're studying at the moment, or thinking about it, and you want to get a good mark in essays, pick something the markers have never heard of. And that way you'll know more than they do, and they can't mark it badly. So I picked human rights, and then said, now I'm going to write about real property law, land law. And honestly, I was looked at like I just said, I'm going to write about the surface of Mars. And uh, all these uh, slightly hippie um, human rights lawyers who were full of the zeal to free prisoners in Sudan and all the rest of it, looking at me writing about owning a house and uh, had no idea what to do. The human rights dialogue 
is a helpful one, but it, it summarises, in a sense, the way that we see the world, which is to assert our rights. I am entitled. Now that's helpful in lots of ways, when we're talking about helping each other. But it is death when it comes to God. I am entitled will get us nowhere. Not least of which, because we often argue that we are entitled by referring to how bad we think other people are. You know, this is, the, this is the, what my uh, five and eight-year-olds do. Uh, they come to me and I say to them, uh, Child X, I should preserve their name, you hit your sister slash brother. And they say to me, yes, but he or she hit me first. I am okay, Daddy, because he or she is worse. Or we might say this, this is adapting another one of Jesus' parables. I thank you, God, that I am not like this other mum. With her unruly perm, her unsuitably short skirt, her annoying voice and her way of gossiping. I thank you that I at least am not like that. Accept me, please. Or I thank you, God, that I am not like this other man who produces sloppy work who does not shower properly and therefore is unruly to be in the elevator with, who skips out early. I am righteous, my God, please accept me. But Jesus says, no, the poor in spirit are those who have the kingdom of God. The way of pride and self-justification leads away from God and not to him. Jesus actually directly confronts this later in his, in his ministry when he comes across lots of religious people and he says to them, well that's great then, you don't need me. You're all so good, you don't need me, I'll, I'll go off with those who know that they're bad. The light of the world came to them and they said, no thanks mate, we've got enough light already. It's the humble who come to encounter Jesus who encountered God's presence, his blessing, because they accept it for what it is, a gift of mercy and love they desperately need. Blessed are those who mourn. See, when we humble ourselves before God, when we accept we need his love and forgiveness, and we want to change, something starts to happen inside us. We start to become aware of the ways we need mercy. We start to become aware of our own sin, to put it another way. If you think about the analogy of the scrap heap again, it's when this thing has been picked off the scrap heap that we first of all find out how it doesn't work. Before it can be put to use, we've got to work out what's wrong. Why was it on the scrap heap in the first place? It's rusty, it's full of water. I had the enormous privilege and joy of going around to Annie and Rupert's for a barbecue yesterday. It was wonderful, thank you very much. Uh, Rupert and I dismantled the barbecue beforehand because the gas was not going through. What were we doing? We were finding out what was wrong so that Rupert, because he's an extraordinary man, could fix it. Blessed are those who mourn. You see, at this point in the Christian life, God is beginning to challenge our self-interest and self-centeredness. He's prompting us to mourn. The things we overlooked or excused before, the unkindness or selfishness or greed or lust that we found easy to explain away, starts to bother us. It never bothered me, one might say, that I used terrible language all the time or that I spend my lunchtimes thinking about the hottie in the cubicle next to me or 
or, or, or. It never bothered me before, but now it seems to be bothering me. It makes me sad. God's spirit is present and at work in our lives at this point. We start to see the ways we don't love God and love others and it bothers us. More than this, we start to see the pain of the world around us. Blessed are those who mourn because of the state of the world, because of the sadness of their neighbours, because of the breakdown of marriages, because of, because of, because of. God opens our eyes to the suffering, sometimes silent and hidden, that affects his creation. It bothers us. It should bother us. And the proper response is to say, this isn't right, we are not right, and to regret it deeply. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Only those who mourn can be comforted. You can't comfort somebody who says there's nothing wrong. When we come to God and bring the sorrow we feel about our own sin and about the state of the world, he begins to comfort us. First, by showing he's forgiven us completely. If you come to Christ, he's forgiven you completely. Nothing left. That is a great comfort. Jesus has taken it to the cross and it's been dealt with forever. But second, by showing us how he's working to reverse the pain of the world and wants to use us in it too. So this leads us to blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. This is the hardest one to translate into English. We hear the word meek and we can think of someone who's weak or timid. It conjures up pictures of someone who sort of sloops around. With a very limp handshake. So shaking you think, actually are there any bones in this handshake at all? Oh, I'm so meek. Someone who is what a friend of mine at university, who had a particularly cutting sense of humour, you get this in Christian circles, you get evangelifish. <laughs> they look nice, but they've got no backbone. That's not what the Bible means at all, right? The, the two people most described as meek are Moses and Jesus, right? Think about them. Moses stood up to Pharaoh. As close as the world, ancient world had to um, uh, a superpower was Pharaoh. Okay? Think Donald Trump, but with the power to have you executed at will. And Moses walked in and said, by the way, your entire workforce needs to be set free and God is going to punish you because you have been abusing them and murdering their babies. Not a weak man. He freed a nation of slaves, brought a superpower to its knees, led them through several wars. Jesus stood up to every religious and political authority of his day, drove out demons and money changers, and was nearly killed by several mobs. And eventually, when they wanted to arrest him, they sent an entire battalion of soldiers. It is as if the uh, state had decided they wanted to arrest me, and they sent a SWAT team, because they were so worried about what I might do. I don't think he was a man with a limp handshake. Jesus is not desc- he's describing something different here. It's not weakness. It's someone who chooses not to assert their rights and privileges over others. Someone who says, yes, I know I have rights and I choose not to use them. Because I put you first. Actually, Jesus explained what this is in relation to himself. He said, the Son of Man, me, I came from God not to be served. Right? I have the right to, for you to serve me. 
Why? Because I can raise the dead. How's that for a deal? Right? Or because I can heal everybody. Or because I'm about to be the most significant teacher in the whole of human history. I think you should serve me. We haven't even got on to me being God. All the rights in the world. And he said, but I come and I choose not to be served, but to serve you. Actually, I'm going to give you my life. Meekness. Someone who's not looking out to make sure they can get and take all they can. Most fundamentally, someone who's willing to let God defend and provide for them in his strength. This challenges materialism. If you're after the big kind of macro words today, it says materialism challenged. The drive to get all we can for ourselves directly challenges that. Our self-reliance. See, when our hearts are meek, when Jesus is working in them, we stop seeking to get all we can and assert ourselves and our rights over others. We find that God provides all that we need. I know a woman not a million miles away from here um, who's an extraordinary uh, uh, web designer and a wonderful mother. And uh, she used to be a criminal barrister. I'm going to embarrass her now. I'm going to demonstrate the truth of this proposition through personal experience. Uh, She used to be a criminal barrister. She was married to a commercial barrister. I, I don't know how much any one of you are earning, but I would take a wild guess that it was probably less than we were earning. And say, uh, all that money coming in, and then when we sold our house and moved to Hersham, and I've given it away now, uh, sold our house and moved to Hersham, and all of this money stopped coming in. You see, it turns out they don't pay Baptist ministers who are training and working half-time for a church quite as well as they pay commercial barristers. Who knew? It got here, and uh, Heather said to me after a year, I honestly don't only understand it, because it feels like I have more money in my bank account now to buy what I need than I did when we earned more than a six-figure salary. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. See, we start finding that God provides for everything we need. One of the great paradoxes of life is that the more we try and take for ourselves, the more we assert ourselves, the less satisfied and content we are. It's one of the great paradoxes of life. Once we're willing to stop asserting ourselves, stop taking all we can and open ourselves to God to provide, we find that we have everything we need and we're content. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, we don't literally have the earth. We might as well have, because we know someone who does have the earth, and he gives it to us liberally, whatever we need. I mean, I have stories I could go on for hours about. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So we've gone through a process now in which Jesus has begun to clear out all the negative stuff. You think about my engine picked off the scrap heap. He started to strip out the rust and the blockages and free the valves up so they can move. And now he's saying, I actually want to fill you with the good thing. I've emptied out all the bad and now I want to start to fill it with good. Righteousness is an old-fashioned word. 
it, it's, it's gone out of style a little bit now because of the way it's been misused by religious people, really, who are sanctimonious and self-justifying, who are not poor in spirit. What it means, though, is a deep hunger and thirst, a craving to do what is right and to see what is right done in the rest of life. This is what righteousness means. Sounds old-fashioned, but it just means doing what is right, doing what God wants, being like Jesus. I'll give you an example of a a great Baptist hero, since we're in a Baptist church. Uh, Martin Luther King was a man, junior, was a man who hungered and thirsted, who craved righteousness. He looked at the world and could see that it was not right. He mourned over it and then he said, but I don't want it to be this way. And God does not want it to be this way. I want righteousness. I want it to be put right. It's not a coincidence that if you follow the uh, text of uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, most famous speech that he uh, gave on the mouth that's been come to be known as the I Have a Dream speech, he actually quotes from the Old Testament prophets. Let righteousness flow like a river and justice as an ever-flowing stream. I think it's Amos off the top of my head. My friends, we have to work with God in this. We don't come to crave righteousness because we choose it. We crave righteousness because God changes who we are. It's a work of grace, but we do have to work with him in it. He needs to work in us, sorry, he needs to work on what we want. You see, fundamentally we do what we want. Right, that was Augustine's main insight. You might be thinking, I don't do what I want. I'm pretty much sure that you do. Okay, I certainly do. I do what I want. I ate far too much meat at Annie's barbecue yesterday because it tasted amazing and because I wanted it. Now, I recognise now, on reflection, having gone to bed with a stomach ache, that it was a bad thing to do. But I did it because I wanted it. We do what we want, right? The more we argue that we don't do what we want, we're just kidding ourselves, right? We'll never get past it. What we need is God to change what we want, what we desire. To come to hunger and thirst for what is good, what is right. When God has transformed our desires so that we we want to do what is right, then he fulfills and provides all that we want. See, there's certain brands of Christianity, I don't know if you've come across this, but there are certain brands of Christianity that says, seek God and he will give you what you want. So if you want a Lamborghini, seek God and he'll give it for you, provide it for you. Um, Now, I do want a Lamborghini and he hasn't provided it yet, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. What he's saying is God wants to change what we want so that he can provide for it. Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They'll receive what they want. Challenges are self-centeredness and independence. We need to learn to pray and to mean, thy will be done. And that means not praying, my will be done. Can you see why this comes halfway through the process? Because God has had to do a lot of work in us in order to get us to that point where we can honestly say, I actually genuinely want your will to be done. Because I recognise that it's good for me and for other people. This is really the key to everything else that comes after. It's where a lot of contemporary religious life falls short. 
speak for a moment to those who are established Christians who've been following Jesus for a long time. My friends, we can desire lots of things. We can crave lots of things. Church growth is one of them. Jesus does not say blessed and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for their church to be full of people, for they will be filled. We can, achieve, we can crave financial provision. He doesn't say that. We can crave spiritual gifts. He doesn't say that. We can crave physical and emotional healing. He doesn't say that. Now, all of those things are good. I'm not diminishing any of them. I've preached on each one of those over the last couple of years. And I think it's a good thing to earnestly desire and I believe God wants it for us. But it's not the centre of the Christian life. Crave righteousness and you will find yourself filled. Actually, you'll find that God adds all these other things to you as well. Desire to be like Jesus, to be set free from sin. Desire with all your heart to love God and love others. Crave to be free from spite and selfishness. And you will become a force for grace and love in your school, in your home, in your workplace, in your friendship group. Crave justice above all else. My friends, the church that earnestly desires prophecy and spiritual gifts and seeing people healed and hardens its heart to the poor who live down the road from it and those who are damaged and those who are in need of God's grace and his healing will not find themselves blessed by God. Crave justice. Desire the world to be better and fairer and more like God intends. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we crave these things, then we will be filled. Always offer an application. If, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, in the way that we've been talking about, you might think, well, I, I was baptised as a baby and I kind of am a Christian. I, I, I kind of am. That's wonderful. But you in your heart know whether or not you, you truly follow Jesus with your life. And if you don't yet, then his word to you is the, the poor in spirit are those who are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. All you have to do to begin this journey is to acknowledge you need help, forgiveness and mercy. To look to Jesus for it, to ask for a new start and get baptised and you'll receive the Spirit of God. He'll start this journey in you. He, will, In a sense, he will start to, to salvage you from the scrap heap. This is where the analogy breaks down because there is no sense that the engine or the door on the scrap heap is calling out and saying, I want to be fixed. And yet that is what God wants us to do. Blessed are the poor in spirit. But what are those of us who've begun this journey? Well, let me just ask you some questions. Because I'm going to leave some silence in a minute before we turn to communion. For God to speak to us. Maybe you can ponder these questions. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you crave it? Are we asking God regularly to identify areas of our lives that need to be salvaged so that we can become like Jesus? Jesus is going to go on to say, I want you, this happens after the Beatitudes, I want you to be like a light that gives light to the whole world. Do we really want to be that light? Do you want to be a force for light 
in the, for those who are in darkness. That when there is a, a mum at the school gates, or a guy working at the office, or someone at the stroke club, or wherever it is that you go, and they are suffering, and they are in a time of darkness, and they want to find light, they think to themselves, him, her. She lights the world. If you want that, and I can't imagine why any other life is actually worth living than one that brings light to darkness. Why not start craving it? Why not start keeping a spiritual journal if that helps? Might help. Why not come to a life group and meet with other people who ask you, how are you doing with God? Why not start a prayer triplet, get together with other people and say, actually, we want to pray for our friends and our neighbours. We, we earnestly desire justice and righteousness. This extends beyond gazing inwards. My friends, I have a, <laughs> I have a dream. I'm, I'm no Dr. King. But I do have a dream. That we're a church, a people, who ask God to show us where the world hurts. Where we should mourn and pray. Where we can crave righteousness and justice. Where we can ask God to fill us and send us out to those who need him. Jesus transforms the way that we see ourselves. And the world. So that we can share his kingdom. I'm going to leave a couple of minutes now. We're just going to sit and we're going to let some music play while I get ready for communion. We're going to take communion in a minute. I just want to encourage you to open your heart to the Holy Spirit. You might be someone who's not sure if you even believe that there is a God. And and that's fine. You are extremely welcome. But let's just take some time and be silent and ask him to speak to us. If he's there, to ask him to speak to us. Ask him what he's saying to us. Come Holy Spirit. Um, I'm just going to get us all to stay where we are and just, uh, if you don't mind closing your eyes and bowing your heads and that way um, uh, no one can see anybody else I don't want anyone to feel any embarrassment I uh, was praying as we were listening and I had the words on my heart broken hearted very, very strongly and um, I just sense that if you want no one can see you, and uh, so there's no need to feel any embarrassment. But if you want God to heal your heart, and you sense that it's, it's been hurt by something so badly that you don't feel like you can move forward because it's just broken, I'm just going to encourage you to put your hand on your heart, and I'm going to pray and speak over it. Oh my God, I want to thank you that you're the one who comes to heal the broken hearted. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you that. Um, when you said what it was you come to do in Luke 4 you, you, you said, you began with you sent, that the almighty God has sent you to heal the broken hearted and Lord I want to pray Lord that you would heal my brothers and sisters we speak to our hearts we speak to those hearts that are broken be healed in Jesus name be healed in Jesus name 
Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would meet with us and that you would speak into those hearts that are hurting now. And Lord, that you begin that process of salvage. Be healed in Jesus' name.